Warning, the following show is intended for mature audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome back. We are back. Episode 7, Season 2, Coffee with the Johns. Wow. Last week, uh, we weren't live. I'm sure you guys noticed because there was a, a little bit of wind in I Texas. Was, I was alive. So... It, that little bit of wind knocked out Texas, uh, really affected it. Yeah, the wind. <laughs> We're going to... Or there, the lack of wind because the wind turbines froze up. And those cheesy jokes are going to be all day, apparently. <laughs> Where's I don't, that? Where's I don't, that I don't have effect? that sound you effect. You get that sound effect. No, I don't have that I one. got to find it. I'll all have right. it on my side because I'm the cheesy but, but joke wait, guy. You do the sound effects. I guess that's true. Today, very cool episode. We have a lot of great topics for you. We're going to talk, talk about how COVID is going away by April. ERCOT, one of the um, power suppliers for Texas, is being blamed for the power outages in Texas. And I believe they're being sued as well. Oh, uh, God, I can only imagine. It's a huge, I know there's a huge I, shit show going on there. But we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how do not expect any foreclosures in 2021 and probably womp, not womp, until womp. at least early quarter of 2022, if that. Uh, we're also going to cover why is it that I'm seeing inflation coming very soon and how you can use real estate to prepare. And I want to get your thoughts on if you see that as well. I'm also going to, we're going to be talking about the minimum wage increase on the, and the continued effects on the economy and what that's going to bring. And I actually put on here that we were going to talk about Elon Musk just because we always talk about Elon Musk. Bro, I don't think they're actually... Week. I, I don't think there in is in there. Yeah, uh, I, I figured we would. Yeah. I figured there would be something about this guy because there always is. So it's SpaceX this time, not Tesla. Okay, so or that what's the other one that's super cool? Uh, no, the really boring company or that he has going that's literally named that. It's like the really boring company, and that's I think the one that they're using to do the bullet train and all that. It's not shit. called the really boring company. It's just called the boring company. Whatever, semantics. With that being said, guys, welcome to the show. I am your host, John Barbera, and with me as always is Mr. Fun Facts, John Barr. The better looking of the two. What, what? Completely debatable. Um, so with that, how was your week, sir? That was good, good. Good week? The beginning of the week was kind of like... Uh, trying to get back to feel like like hungover from like last week of just trying to get back into of course the you were hungover oh my god you gotta always turn it into something weird but no uh yeah. it, <laughs> it just like i don't i always said it was like it was like a forced vacation that nobody really wanted to take or for us like business yeah. owners and like people that are like got stuff to do got things going on things in the works things in the plans and all of a sudden it's like all right Monday, we're probably going to be staying at home. It's going to snow. It's going to be bad. I don't want to go out on these roads. I didn't expect it to go all the way, like basically all week. Because by the time like it started to end and thaw over was Friday morning. And by that time, you're just like, where's my life right now? Like you you had enough people staying at your house. You had like an extra one or two people or something, I think. Yeah. There was a, there, there was a total of 10 people in my house, three dogs. Um, and you have a... F- 1500 square foot house about yeah it's three bedroom two bath it, it's it's a comfortable house for four people not yeah. for 10 people and not for four days four or five days so um and for those of you that may not know this uh, i know it's very hard to believe but um i like my space and my space was violated for that week and i have some <laughs> real trauma that came from it you deserve it 
but you know that that really threw me off but but i mean it was what it was I, we were the only ones out of the family that had uh power and water the whole time so that you know very yeah. crucial so for those of you that don't know texas got john's hit got, john's um, got a soft spot is what he's saying I am a human. As much as most people don't understand, I do care about some people. Everyone. I do care about everyone? No, I would say some people. Some I, people. I know I seem that caring, but it's not all that. Um, but I, I do care about people, especially when it's my family. So, you know, I, I do watch out, but it's, it wasn't the, you know, the ideal scenario, let's say. But... um. What happened, for those of you that may not know, is Texas got hit with a crazy, crazy winter storm. And once in a lifetime. Not, not just that it was crazy cold, but it was cold for a very extended period of time, yep. which is what caused the problems. Yep. So it was all starting the prior week. It all started like that Thursday when, you know, it started getting cooler and it was, you know, getting close to those freezing temperatures. And Texas is not prepared for that. The roads are not prepared for it. The infrastructure. We don't have the equipment for it. It's like it, the roads. Because it never happens. I mean. It's once, they said it was once in a lifetime. They're like close. Like this is like a, like the last time I got this cold was like 1989. So 30 years ago. Even still, but, but even they then, said not have, as long. It didn't have as long or as much snow. Right. It's like this is like as close to like a hundred year storm as you can get. Because I had friends coming down that weekend from Kansas and like the Ricky, if you're watching, you brought your crappy weather. I left Kansas for a reason. That's what I was telling him. Like, the, he told me months in advance he was coming down that Saturday. And then I'm watching the weather, watching the weather, watching the weather. I'm like, bro, I left Kansas to get away from this crap, and now you're bringing it with you. Uh-oh. It took them three and a half hours, I think, to get from Austin to San Antonio. On Because they were driving down from Tulsa Friday, which is like the worst when all the ice really started hitting in. Um, and they from they were supposed to get here at like four in the morning. They didn't wind up getting here till like five thirty six o'clock because they were dry, that last stretch of yeah. Austin to San Antonio. It's like there was cops every intersection. There was fire trucks, ambulances all over the place. And there was cars. It looked, it looked like a war zone just because like of all the cars that were just slid off the road, the wrecks, the cops, everything. Yeah, it, it was it, uh, it was it was nuts. Uh, my family that you know they live less than twenty minutes away. It took them over an hour to get to my house. I, I was guiding them through back roads because yeah. all the major highways, everything was closed. So, all right. So this, this weather comes out, comes about. And as many of you know, if you saw last week was my birthday and I wanted colder weather. So it was great for me. I didn't mind the weather at all. It's just that I didn't anticipate all of Texas shutting down and being affected. That really sucked. Yeah. The, 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 wa- Where, the power and water outages was uh, like, cause it wouldn't have been as bad, like that bad. No. It, it's it, just like when you no. ran out of power and water, it was like, what is going well, on? So that's where I realized I'm like, you know what? I can't ask Texas for nothing. Everything I ask, it overkills. So it's like, you know how they say, like the story it's always of- that joke where Texas says, you know, hold my beer. Hold my beer and watch this. It's like, I just wanted a little bit of cold. I didn't want you to shut down the whole fucking state. Jesus. And then you know, ice and cause so much problems for water. people and, and oh, people's brutal. pipes burst and all this mayhem. I was like, Buildings I didn't want all like, that. Like here in San Antonio, that, that apartment complex like burned to the ground because there yeah. was no water. Like the fire hydrants were frozen. There was no way to get water to it. And it's like they were trucking it in. And every time they kind of got a... Uh, a handle on the blaze, they'd run out of water. And it would take 40 minutes for water to get there again. And it's like... Yeah, it, it was it was nuts. Um, the amount of uh, issues it cost everywhere, you know, it, uh, the amount of expenses it cost. So 
let's kind of get into whose fault is this? Your right? fault. So you asked because for the weather, it's your fault. Yeah, it's my fault. Um, you know, one thing that I saw as a trend during this uh, this week is the amount of people that are so eager to blame somebody for their struggles and for their problems. You know what I mean? And and don't get me wrong. Again, I understand shit got bad, but at the same time, it's like you know, just own up to your life. Like it's it's your life. Yeah. You understand? Like take responsibility for it. Protect yourself. Take the prior precautions, whatever precautions you need to take to make sure that you and your family are taken care of. But, you know, it, it's just what we saw consistently was just people, who can I sue? Who Can, can I sue my landlord because my power went out? Can I, you know, it's like, like no, uh, it's yeah. not your landlord's fault. And I mean, I guess we can even go into that topic. Here's an article. boy, Switch over. Um, oh, happening. Oh, we're good. So here's a, 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 a Facebook post from mayor of Colorado City, Texas, resigns after posting this. He, so I'm going to read this to you. Oh, Let me hurt some feelings while I have a minute. He starts off the post. You know what's <laughs> going to be good when you read that? Like, I'm going to hurt some feelings, but it's like, ooh. So I he says, this. no one owes you, I would imagine it was or. Nobody owes you or your family anything, nor is it a local government's responsibility to support you during trying times like this. Sink or swim, it's your choice. The city and county, along with power providers or any other services, a service owes you nothing. I'm sick and tired of people looking for a damn handout. If you don't have electricity, you step up and come up with a game plan to keep your family warm and safe. If you have no water, you deal without you if you have no water, you deal without and think outside of the box to survive and supply water to your family. If you are sitting at home in cold in the cold because you have no power and are sitting there waiting for someone to come rescue you because you're lazy is direct result of your raising. Only the strong will survive and the weak will perish. Folks, God has given us the tools to support ourselves in times like this. This is sadly a product of a socialist, a socialist government where they feed people to believe that the few will work and others will become dependent for handouts. I am sorry that you have been dealing without electricity and water. Yes, but I'll be damned if I'm going to provide for anyone that is capable of doing it themselves. We have lost sight of those in need and those that take advantage of the system and meshed them into one group. Bottom line, quit crying and looking for a handout. Get off your ass and take care of your own family. Boy, honestly... And you know me. I agree. Yeah, I'm like, no, that just... was not bad at all. And then he even says, like, he had to resign because of that. And, Obviously, you know, his he wife hurt. got fired, too. His like, wife they, got fired. That's a problem with that, too. It's like, it pisses me off that. Like, I, I agree, too. Like, being a, in a political world, like, yes, you, you're exactly an individual as an authoritative position. It's like, yeah, you probably could have handled that a little more politically. That's when a lot of people that was the demise of Trump is like, he would act that way with like, it's like, bro, this is just 
realize who you're talking to and who actually reads this yeah. and you're a politician that you're leading both sides you need to appeal to both sides you can't take such a hard stance you can go on about it a different way but that said the underlying message i do agree with it's like yeah i mean my god it was crazy like coming from a place like we're Storms like this happen usually every year and every couple of years you get a bad one come through, pipes burst. Like we were kind of prepared for it. We knew what was going on. Right. But it, it's just the the handouts. Who am I suing? What do we need to do? Like the, the people, the way they rush to the grocery stores and like buy everything out and freak out. It's like that's what makes these situations worse. Yeah. Because I mean, I think what was it? Um, Tuesday was the day after the snowstorm. And uh, where I went, like we abandoned our, our apartment where we live and went to uh, my girlfriend's parents' house because they still had constant power. But Tuesday morning, they shut the water off. Well, as soon as they did that, what did I start doing? It's like, all right, you guys got buckets? We got six inches of snow on the ground. Like, there's no idea how long this water is going to be out. Let's get snow, melt it, so we have water to at least flush toilets. Yeah. And the neighbors across the street are over there sledding down the hill in their driveway. I'm like, you idiots. That's going to turn to a solid sheet of ice tomorrow. And it's like um, her parents actually went out and they pushed all the snow off their driveway because they they have a huge hill getting up into their driveway to where like if there's any bit of ice like you're going straight down into the neighbors you're going to give them a new garage door in the front of their house, um, so they shoveled their driveway and their neighbor across the street shoveled his driveway but the people on either side and a couple other places like Tuesday morning instead of out like preparing to like hey we're out of water this might last a while they're playing in the snow going down leaving not shoveling their driveways off not harvesting snow or anything like that so yeah. i mean for probably 5 6 hours i was taking snow from inside taking a pot of water since we had electricity melting it and dumping make sure we had plenty of water throughout that time period and they went out to the grocery stores and able to get some extra food and stuff like that even though we had enough it's like well, let's go get some extra just in case yeah well, I mean, that that's the thing. Like, that's where I agree with him. It, you know, and obviously people blew this up because it's like everything. You know, how can we make him look like a bigger dick? So it's like, oh, you don't care about the elderly. You don't care about the sick. And it's like, no, he, you know, I read what he said. He didn't say that. He said those that can, that have the means to, should take care of themselves. He didn't say everybody including the elderly screw you all he didn't say any of that yeah. you know and those are things that you, you and i have spoke about and i do agree with what he's saying it's a lot of the policies and a lot of the things that we keep seeing coming about or trying to come about are to create a dependency on the government and that's the problem i heard this i heard uh robert kiyosaki say this i don't know like 10 years ago and he says when seconds matters help is hours away, yeah. right? So when shit like this happens, if you're waiting for somebody to do something for you, yes, you're most likely gonna die, right? Because you can't, like, it's just not gonna happen. Help can't get to you that quick. Why make yourself so dependent on something that's out of your control? Like one thing that I look at is I have a family and it's my responsibility to take care of my family. I can't depend on the government or anybody else to come help me. If anything, what I've done is I've built great relationships with my neighbors yeah. because guess what? Those are the only people you can count on when shit goes bad. Yeah. You know, you can't so get out on the roads like, oh, you better really friendly with your neighbors. So that's where, you know, this guy, and he did resign because he, he knew after he said it, he's like, all right. And he was, I was reading the article and everything. And the guy, he, he didn't post up to, uh, for reelection anyway, way before this. 
So he knew he was going out. He was going out anyway. So I'm going out on a note that people are going to remember. Yeah, and I mean, you and I, uh, we always talk about how I would not make a good politician because I would be speaking this way. I'm fun to watch. (laughs) It'd be fun. Yeah, (laughs) for all of like two weeks. But uh, but because I believe in being more direct, because I. Again, we I don't do it with any malice. I don't do it hoping, you know, oh, I'm, I want to hurt people's feelings and I want people to lose. It's not with that. It's just I want you to take care of yourself because I don't want you to struggle. Like when yeah. COVID happened, all the run went on the on the restaurant, not on the restaurants, on the um, supermarkets and everything like that. What bullets. we started doing with my wife is we started prepping. We started getting we're like, look, let's at least try to uh, secure a month of food. We have frozen food, we have canned food, everything, things that won't spoil. Let's secure at least a month of food, a month of supplies, everything that we're going to need for a month. In case something was to happen, we can hunker down and we don't have to go anywhere. You understand? So we went ahead and we did that. That helped out during this situation. Now, this situation happened. One thing that I realized we weren't very prepared for is power outages. So now we're like, we're making a list and we're making a plan. All right, next time the power goes out, what can I do? Well, and for you as well, it's like, it's not even just power. It's like you guys had water and power the entire time for the most part. But if you lost power and water, it's like a extra case of water is not going to last you if you're out of water. Because luckily we had snow we could melt for, but this would have been a different power outage where we didn't have snow. It's like, yeah. shit. Well, and even what, what I ended up doing was like talked with my whole family where I was like, look, you know, shit like this happened. We all came together, right? You all came under one home because it's easier to consolidate resources. So it's like, let's see what resources we need in case shit happens and everybody pitch in and get a little bit for yourselves and stuff like that. That way it's not everybody, let's say, taking just our resources, right? Because I'm doing resources for four people, not for 10. So if they do resources for two here, three there and all this, now we bring it all together. We're all taken care of. The point with all this is not that, like everything, the government is extremely inefficient. This whole thing with the power outage, and we're going to cover some of those articles, it seemed like it didn't need to happen. It seemed like, you know, it could have been prevented, but that's what the government does. It's bureaucracy, it's politics, it's, you know, you have 17 people to make one freaking decision and it has to go up the chain and everybody has their own agenda, where it's like, you can't depend on that shit. You can't, yeah, you can't depend on the inefficiencies of government. No. So what he said, even though it was, like you said, it was poorly delivered, right? It was very poorly delivered. Well, now that you told me he was ready to resign and everything, it's like, well, he probably did exactly how he wanted to. Yeah, because if he probably would have delivered it correctly, we wouldn't have heard of it. Heard of it, and and then it just just wouldn't have been as impactful. Because now that he said it the way he did, we're talking about it. Other people are talking about it. They heard about it. That probably has gone outside of Texas and their local community what you never would have done. So So you have an article here about uh, Greg Abbott orders investigation into the Texas energy. You want to cover that real quick? uh, Yeah, I mean, it's a short one. Basically, he put a quote out that says, I have issued an executive order to review the preparations and decisions by ERCOT so we can determine what caused this problem and find long-term solutions. And one of the state representatives, Jen Yu, said that ERCOT told lawmakers it knew last week that control or last week, so week before this happened, yeah. um, knew last week that controlled outages would be needed. But ERCOT did not tell the public until Sunday. But I also kind of look at that. If you would have told 30 some million people that were going to have blackouts, rolling blackouts because of this winter storm, I think you would have created almost more problem if you 
told people beforehand than just last minute because the public does not take news like that well, especially when they're not used to it. So it's kind of like, eh, I see both sides of their argument of like not telling people, but then I could also see ERCOT being like, we would have told them, you want to talk about a mad rush and chaotic and people getting out when they shouldn't? Like when there's the ice storms, you're adding more people getting to stores and buying out everything, freaking out. You probably would have caused mass hysteria if you would have told well, people up front. I mean, that, so here's the other thing to that, right? Is that the issue we go back to it being always a political issue is that when shit like this happens, you know, COVID happened, everybody blames Trump for, you know, that he didn't do enough, whatever happens, right? Because when shit like this happens, it's how can we blame somebody? It doesn't. Yeah. Nobody or looks it at for it. Political gain. Yeah. Not somebody blame exactly. somebody. It's like how can we use this to our advantage to make somebody else fall? And that's that's an excellent point because that's exactly what everybody is doing is saying how can we use this to make ourselves look better, right? Nobody's caring about how is this affecting the the country? How is this affecting people? How is this affecting you know the morale of the country? Nobody cares about that. What they care about is how can we make ourselves look better. Right. Yeah. So, you know, these are all the things that I'm like, I wonder at what point are we going to start seeing, like, if Trump was in the White House, we already would have seen that it was Trump's fault. He didn't, you know, help Texas out or soon enough. regulate the energy industry. And right. Or whatever. See, like, so, his policies of deregulating cause this problem. Or, so now that yeah. we have a Democrat in the White House, I'm just waiting to see, like, is he going to get blamed for it? Or are they going to be like, well, what did you want him to do? You know what I mean? Like. Because oh. it's always what is the political advantage of all this? So the now they're side. they're blaming ERCOT for it, and I have an article here where um, uh, shoot, Hot Wheels, what's his Abbott? Um, he comes out and he's saying, you know, there's two reasons why ERCOT is responsible for not um, or using uh, ERCOT as a scapegoat for not taking care of uh, Texas. So Governor Abbott said Thursday that he's learned over the last few days that ERCOT failed to realize the impact the winter storm could have on the power grid. Step one, which was a failure of, of part of ERCOT, was not taking the winter storm serious enough. They downplayed the severity of the storm and even board members came out saying that they spent all of like 15 seconds talking about the, commons, the coming storm like a week before. So ERCOT had the opportunity to slowly begin to implement rolling blackouts, Abbott said. Instead, what they did, they delayed the decision-making process about rolling blackouts until they got right to a few minutes before the entire grid crashing. So they're saying we were like four minutes and I don't know how many seconds away from the entire Texas grid just completely crashing and us being yeah. out of power, not just for a few days, but being out of power for weeks after Yeah, that's this. one thing I was confused by. Of just like when they, because I read that in several places that they're so close to just the whole thing collapsing and being done forever. Or not done not forever, forever, but like yeah. being done for several weeks. I was like, I, I don't understand electricity enough to me. It's like, okay, if you had that power generation, like, and it's something broke, but like, why does it take weeks to get it back up if it just like, if you just turned everything off? Why does it take weeks to get back on? I don't well, know. It doesn't seem like it's like a computer that you just reboot. Yeah, I, I mean, apparently not. <laughs> don't talk if you're going to move the mic. Sorry. <laughs> Trailing voices. No. Yeah. So um, going back to the article. So he says, Erka had the opportunity, uh, the, the blackouts, blah, blah, blah. Um, and they did the equivalent of slamming on the brakes while driving on ice 
and it led to a collision that not only shut down multiple multiple thousands of megawatts, but in doing so, that it was led to the immediate additional shutdown of other megawatts of generation power. We were solving problems, but I think we should have been talking more to people about what this was starting to look like, Magnus said. Magnus is the CEO of ERCOT. What we did not anticipate was losing, you know, up to 48% of generation available on Monday night, and that is on us. So he's, he's taking ownership, and then Governor Abbott said, Texas lawmakers will work for as long as it takes this year to overhaul ERCOT and the state's electric grid. There is no longer going to be a this is no longer going to be a suggestion. This is going to be a mandate, Abbott said. This legislative session is not going to end until we both mandate and fully fund the winterization and I'll add the summarization of our grid. We never again can allow power to go out in the state of Texas. So I mean, right. That is Great to hear, right? Yeah. You know, it's it's really positive and everything if it gets done. But um I'm the I'm in the same position as you are. Like we're we're not engineers, we're not, you know, we don't understand these things. Yeah, I didn't feel like becoming an engineer this week either. So <laughs> I don't understand how it is. One thing uh that I have read a few times is that, you know, that we don't have the ability to bring in power from outside of Texas. Like we're set up to generate our own, consume our own and distribute, but not necessarily to bring in. So when our grids fall, we don't have the options. And that was it. And like, I have an article in here. I don't remember which one it is. One of the two um, talking about them. I mean, I have two articles, the Texas grid failure ignites feud over Republicans oversight of the energy sector. And then another one is a political making of Texas power outage. They kind of combine and run Mm -hmm. together. Um, but one of them was the Wall Street Journal did an article and they are a study and this was the response from him. So the problem is Texas over reliance on wind power that has left the grid more vulnerable to bad weather. Half of wind turbines froze last week, causing winds share of energy to plunge to 8% from 42%. Power, power prices in the wholesale market spiked and grid regulators on Friday warned of rolling blackouts. Natural gas and coal generations ramped up to cover the supply gap, but couldn't meet the surging demand for electricity, which half of households rely on for heating. Even as families powered up their gas furnaces, even as families gathered up their gas furnaces, then some gas wells and pipelines froze. In short, there wasn't sufficient baseload power for coal and nuclear to support the grid. Baseload power is needed to stabilize grid frequency amid changes in demanding and supply. When there's not enough baseload, the power grid gets unbalanced and power sources can fall. The more the grid relies on intermittent renewables like wind and solar, the more baseload power is needed to back them up. So I was saying they're trying to transition to all these green energies, all of these renewable energies and things like that. But they're saying like, you can't just abandon these tried and true power generation sources like they had. But the problem with Texas is when they're talking about it's, they, they pride their energy system, but now we're looking like the idiots of the, uh, the country now is we're an independent state on our own power grid. We don't export power outside of Texas. We generate what we have here and we keep it here. 
So when the problem is versus like some other states, they might generate some power themselves, but they get their power from another state and they swap power back and forth. There's a lot of transmission lines going back and forth. Right. Texas doesn't have much of that, nowhere near the capacity to pull in enough to bring in from other states to reverse it going the other way because power can go both ways. Yeah. So that was a huge problem here is like their over-reliance on wind power. So when they lost those and de-iced them, they didn't have the base load to ramp up to supply it and have the contingencies to lose that. But since these aren't government-regulated and run power companies and Texas is segregated and deregulated, we have a lot of small municipalities that are small companies that power things. They're not – they don't have the capital to be able to just invest in the 100-year – accident that might happen right. or might not happen. That was another thing they saw, talked about. It was a recommendation to winterize all this equipment after the 2011 power outages, but it wasn't a mandate. It wasn't forced upon because they're thinking like, well, we can't force these private companies because it'll bankrupt them and or it will ri- drastically rise prices from the consumers and then they're going to be complaining to the politicians and it can create more problems because it was not seen necessary at that time. So there's a lot of things that happened all at once. Um, and like people said, like it really was just an absolute perfect storm. So Texas, they try, and the one reason Texas does it that way is they tried to, they want to avoid federal regulation. And this is a quote from a different article. It says, Texas has avoided federal regulation by establishing its own power grid that's nearly cut off from the rest of the country, an isolated system that conservatives in power have, have in power have long praised. So that's what really kind of caused a lot of these problems here is a kind of perfect storm, the overlines, not enough base load, these small companies. Um, and this is the disadvantage of having such a big state being not regulated by some kind of government entity. And that's kind of why you can't have a full on private sector without a government. But you can't have a government without a private sector. There's a trade off somewhere in between there to make it work in a utopia that everyone wants that you're never going to uh, get. Well, I mean, I, my opinion is that, you know, we talk about the inefficiencies of government and everything. I think that is precisely why I rather keep the inefficiencies and keep the market as as free as possible with regulations in the right areas, of course. Yeah. But at the same time, this is why you need to fend for yourself and have some plans in place. Oh, 100%. Because when shit like this happens, you can't have it both ways, right? Yep. You can't have like, hey... Get your hands out of my pocket. Let me live my life. And then when shit gets uncomfortable, where are you? Why are you not helping me? You understand where it's like, you kind of got to pick. You want free market or do you want socialism? Like, what is it that you want? You understand? Because if you want free market, free market isn't pretty. Free market isn't clean. Like, it just, there's, yeah, and it goes back and forth. You understand? Like, it, it does some things really good, and then it does some things really bad, and then it'll correct. And that's the beauty of the free market is that it always corrects yeah yes it's gonna get ugly at some points and it's gonna it could get even really ugly at some points but the beauty is that it corrects you understand the issue with another form of of you know over regulation or damn near pretty much socialism like just having the government control all of it is that they control everything now you no longer have any real movement of the market at all because it's yeah. like this is the way it is and you can't even prepare or protect yourself because that's no longer an option now you definitely got to depend on the government well, and that's the thing too that uh um 
David Oberhauser puts in here. It's like, do we really want more or any government regulation for a hundred year event? He says, I say no. And I agree. The problem with, uh, yeah. that worries me is like, anytime there's a crisis like this, where, and this is the bad part about government is they over, they correct. They go way above exactly. and beyond because they're trying to just say like, Hey, we have this problem. A lot of people pissed off. We're just going to just, they're going to slam on the brakes because to regulate it. They and stuff pander, like that. They're pandering to the public bitching and moaning yeah where it's like you gotta be okay with the public bitching and moaning yeah and and crying out well, and and calling you stupid well, and hating you I, gotta be okay with that and that's right because you that, still got to think about the majority of the public thinks about right now this week today you as as the government need to think beyond right now this week today you need to think about the next 5 10 20 years 50 years What's this going to look like? The thing is that politicians are the same way. They're yeah. thinking about this election. Yeah. They They're not thinking about what can we set up. And, and this is, um, you know, not to keep going on a low tangent, but this is the, exactly what brought the downfall of Argentina. Argentina, prior to 2000, was a powerful country. They had everything. They had all the natural resources. They had anything that they need. They were self-sustaining oil, gold, uh, land, agriculture, uh, they agriculture. Had they had everything. They're, they're a big they, port city. They had, yeah, they, they were they self-sustaining. Yeah. They could export. They could do whatever the hell they had. They had all the money. But what happened was that every time a president came in, they undid everything the last president did. Because to them, it's like, well, I can't, you know, follow what they did. That's just stupid, right? Like, you know, that's. They're a different political party. I can't do what they did because I'm a different political party. So I got to come in and break everything they did and redo it. Then they leave. The next person comes in, break everything they did and redo it. The problem is like you never build it whips anything. It the entire... Well, you never uh, build man. anything. And then you have like to the point that I'm trying to get to is that you have it here in our government yeah. where you have Obama came out with Obamacare, right? Whether you like it or not, it doesn't matter. He came out with Obamacare trying to reform the healthcare industry. Trump comes in, says, screw Obamacare, it's done. Why? Because he's Republican, Obama was Democrat. Instead of saying, okay, look, let's look at Obamacare. What's good about it? What's bad about yeah. it? Let's tweak it. What can we fix? What can we keep? All right, let, that's good. Let's do this. Then the next president comes in and says, okay, what is good with Obamacare? What's bad? What, you know, what did Trump do? Did he tweak something a little bit too much? Can we actually look at data instead of being so emotional about it being a Democrat did this, a Republican did this, because we're the ones that get screwed? Oh, well, that's what I said. I agree. Like, you look at our political environment, and based on what you just said, it's like the exact same thing. What really pisses me off, and I think that's something they should get away with 100% is this stupid ass budget reconciliation thing where they can pass things on simple majorities or if one party has a majority they can screw the other party and redo it because that's how obamacare got passed pissed off the republican party republicans did it by overhauling the tax system pissed off the democrats and the democrats are now to come back and pass this massive stimulus bud package and not a single republican is going to vote for it and when they're all there's a big difference between is it worth it is it not and they're just trying to pander to their base to make sure they don't but lose it, do, it doesn't matter if any republican is going to vote for it right because yeah it's part democrats of have yeah that's what i said they have 50, if they get all 50 kamala harris the vice president breaks it or like that's where i think this needs to stop where it's like you can't pass things on straight party line vote you have to bring somebody from the other side 
if you're doing a budget or switch it towards like you can do a budget reconciling simple majority, but you have to have somebody from each party, at least one person or a certain percentage from the other party to do it. And, or you get rid of it completely and you have to have that 60% or 60 uh, vote. Kind of like when we have the runoff elections, right? Isn't it kind of that way? Like if, if a a certain candidate doesn't get at least X amount of the votes, if they don't get over a majority, you have three candidates and you get 45, 45 and 10. Yeah, 45, 45, and 10. Uh, then you have to do a runoff between the two 45s, and now that last 10% have yeah. to vote to where you will get a majority over that piece. Because then at that point, but we go back to the NFL. So I actually got an email. Uh, this was a few weeks ago, and uh, <laughs> I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, but it's just funny. Her name is Karen. Um, she <laughs> sorry, Karen. Sorry, Karen. But she sends an email saying... You know, hey, uh, I love the coffee with the Johns. I love watching it every Friday, but sometimes you guys get too political, right? And like I tell her, I'm like, I, I completely understand. I, I do. And trust me, it, what, during the elections, uh, you oh and I God. have talked about it. I'm like, I'm political. honestly tired of this shit. I was like, I can't wait for this to be over if it ever is. Because we don't want to be so political. But what you need to understand is like piece together everything that we're telling you and how all of the policies, all of this politics, all of these things affect your life. They affect your life when the power grid goes out. They affect your life when it's time to do your taxes. They affect your life when it's time to buy real estate. All of these things affect your life. And you need to, you know, as much as we would like to stick our heads in the ground, you cannot do that. Everyone, these people, like we have friends that are like, oh, nobody cares about those simple elections or the small elections. It's only the president's one that makes it matter. It's like, no, every damn one of them matters because the ERCOT happened in Texas. That was the government. Uh, like it was our government, our local municipalities. Because I know I had an article in here somewhere like Nuremberg when he got under, he pushed and got one of our major coal plants shut down. I was going to ask you about that because I saw that you put. I don't, I don't know. The whole, I, I don't want to quote that aspect of it, but he was a. If there, it might have already been on its way out when they shut it down or whatnot, or it might have been somebody trying to use it for political gain. It was a quick article and it didn't go into too much depth, and it was all about Nuremberg shut it down. But it was he did obviously have a playing part because he was quoted saying, "We need to transition away from this stuff. We need to get rid of coal, and it starts by shutting down this plant." It and, could have been outdated just, already, and it's that right. Like nobody is arguing against green energy. You know, at least I would hope nobody's arguing against green energy because it's green energy, right? Because obviously the oil industry would argue against it and they are they lobby, they have a lot of politicians yeah. in their pockets. But we all want green energy. We all want a clean earth. We all want to live in a, you know, a, a polluted climate. You understand? Like yeah. we all want the earth to keep going and, and, and not end and all this. And well, I don't know. They keep moving the deadline when the earth is going to end. But, um, you know, we all want the earth to be nice and healthy, right? But then at the same time, we still got to be smart about and understand that's like in Spain. When I was living in Spain, I was living there during the 2008 crash. Spain is huge on the green energy. I mean, you went anywhere in Spain, it's like recycle this, recycle that, windmills everywhere. If you travel cross country through Spain, uh, the best way to do it is through train because they don't have highways cross country. But you travel through trains, like the amount of windmills that you see was astounding. Like it was insane, the amount of windmills. Yet, all of these green energy is exactly what damn near bankrupted Spain when the economy crashed. 
because they it doesn't generate enough. It doesn't generate any revenue. It doesn't generate anything. It costs, well, they also subsidize it, it, and it costs way too much money for the government to go green. It was costing the government so much money to go green, to have those windmills, to power them, to fund them, to build them, to do all that. It was costing so much yeah. money, and then the waste, which is what I find funny. Solar panels, windmills, all the materials they're made out of are very harmful to the environment yeah. and they got to get rid of them every so often. I got a perfect idea. You know what we should do to it? What? We should turn our entire vehicle pop vehicles into electric vehicles and plug those into the grid too. That's what we should do. That's to solve the problem because then we have the green, all the greenhouse gases go away and these winter storms just disappear overnight and we have no more climate change. We plug all the electric vehicles into the grid, good to go. So moving on, that's the, that's the good, the Green New Deal aspect because I, I had something in here where uh, the beloved AOC came out and tried to use this political gain of just being like, see, and that's what happens right. when you don't accept a Green New Deal. I'm like, you well, realize like what? That's actually because Abbott Abbott criticized her. Uh, well, he, they hit the he, green renewable yeah. side because like we lost wind power. That's what caused this problem. It's exactly, like, it did because they lost the wind power and they didn't have the but they didn't have the coal to back it up. But it's also like, well, it's both sides. Like you should have transitioned, but done this. So there's all the kinds of stuff. I don't want to go so, too far on it, but there's one thing I wanted to put in mm -hmm. here is uh, Brian Pauling's been posting a lot about it, and uh, Ezekiel had a couple. Um, but Brian goes, we pay taxes every time the post they post a giveaway. I hear my pucker or my wallet pucker. For from the sucking sound. I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there goes our money. Just blast it out to everything. And then tie that into Ezekiel of like, yes, correct. Both of you, the government always overcorrects because of, they pander to the few that kick and scream in the effort to make everything safe for everyone all the time. Yeah. And one thing I really hope that comes out of this is one reason I loved Texas. I chose Texas. I didn't realize it was, but like people here do stand up. They kind of like, just like that politician, he's like, bro, I'm done with this. Like, I'm already not running. I'm going out on a high note. Like, I'm going to say the things that nobody else will say. I know it's going to end my career, but I'm going to say it anyways. Yeah. But I'm like hoping there's enough people that they play the political game side to remain power to not get criticized and have to resign. But in the back door, they come in together and be like, yeah, we're not going to do all that. And mm -hmm. they don't come and overreact drastically like some of these other places do and turn this into a place that we no longer want to live. I'm hoping that's what happens. I really, really do. But as more people transition from or move here and migrate here from other states that have the mentality refugees yeah, yeah. and then they are going to change the political climate and things are going to be that way but it is the it is the ebb and flow of well, everything. so here's here's where i hold some hope on that point is you know we are starting to see that california got all the votes to essentially try to push newsom out so yeah, the, the great, votes or the votes. Uh, whatever the signatures that they needed, yeah. you know, so they got all the all the shit that they needed so they can put new uh, push Newsom out. So where this gives me hope is that California, right, because Texas is is getting majority of Californians in the West Coast, the East Coast, where I think uh, you have cooler people. They're going to Florida which sucks because I would not go to Florida. It's so damn humid. But I wouldn't mind being around New Yorkers. But that being said, um, <laughs> it's just, <laughs> you're, if you're seeing Californians come together and realize like, all right, Newsom, you went way too freaking far. You understand? It's like, it, it gives me some hope in saying, okay, they may not be all bad or all that stupid where they're realizing where it's like, and this is something that you and I have spoken about countless times where we have friends that are 
Democrats. We have friends that are Republicans. We have friends that are on extreme sides of both. And when we sit down and we talk about life as it is, we realize that we agree on pretty much yeah, all the major stuff. We agree on like racism is bad, very bad. <laughs> you understand discrimination is really bad. We agree that doing just government handouts willy-nilly is very bad as well. We agree that, you know, you need to let small businesses do what they need to do. We agree that, you know, we agree on so many of the major aspects like of socialism things. is bad. It's like there's a lot of things yeah, that... Even them, like they, they don't want socialism. Even when they rebranded to democratic socialism, okay, that's a thing. Um, it's the same shit, you know? And it's like, but we all agree on the same thing. The problem happens is when the media gets involved. The media gets involved, they make it an extreme topic, they make it an extreme, and then you say, well, I'm a Democrat, so I gotta, I guess, agree with that. And then all Republicans are evil, and vice versa, Republicans are like, well, see, all Democrats are evil, and it's like... God, that's what I said, like, if they would way. just, for a month, shut off the freaking media sources... Like uh-huh. that's where because they grab the extremes and they know they get people riled up and they post it and they post it and post it and now with like the connected world of like social media because I mean the problem was already there and I'm very critical on social like Facebook and social media and stuff like we know that but the problems were already there but that just exacerbated the problem because it's their their profit model their business yeah. prides on people being there and engaging. And what do you do to get people on your thing and engage? You got to post the extremes because that gets people firing back and forth. Your keyboard warriors that just go back and forth and that makes them money because now they can sell ads. So that I think is a huge problem is our media environment that we've created and how their profit models are set up. They're incentivized to create people being pissed off. And then when you do it on such a huge scale all the time where you can't get a break from it because these freaking cell phones, everyone's on Facebook following that stuff. You get people further and further and further on the extremes or to where now you have these massive companies just canceling people. Yeah. They're just like, you know what? We're big enough. We, it, we're turning, we're more of a corporate state run government thing now where nobody's going to tell us no. Boom. We're cutting it off. Oh, they, they've gained so much power and control that they, yeah, they've gotten to a point where they can silence you if you're not going to their benefit, to what they want. And I mean, we saw that Parler came back. They got some new uh, web, hosting service. web hosting service that they came back in. Um, but then you have the same thing. It's like Parler is going to the other extreme. And that's where it, uh, that's why I don't like it. It's just you can't keep going on. Let's keep pulling the country apart. You understand? Let's keep, you know getting more people away from each other and against each other where it's like even facebook like facebook has gotten so terrible with they even came out pretty much saying that we want only happy stuff on our platform you understand like anything that's politics anything that's news anything that's anything like that unless you're a massive corporation then you get to put on there and they get up the revenue from them. But your small guys like us, like, oh, no, 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 you guys can't put it on there. Exactly. So, but we only want happy news. We want entertainment. We want this. And it's like, do you not understand that that's where most people do get their news now, you know, is from social media. So it's like, why are you limiting freedom of speech pretty much? Yeah. You understand? Like, I think they need to come out with, like I said before, they need to come out with a form of rating system or credibility system. And I'm sure they have the AI and the capabilities to do so where they can let people post whatever the hell they want. 
And there's going to be a little measure at the bottom that tells you how credible this source is. You understand? So it's like, hey, here's somebody that's posting about this, but you know they're 20% full of shit, right? So it's like, all right, you can take it for what you want. You understand? Let people decide what it is, what they want to do instead of, no, no, we need to babysit and, and, and control what you consume so we keep a kumbaya kind of environment because it's like, no, you're manipulating people. You're yeah. manipulating what they see. You're manipulating everything. And and before it's like it was the algorithm, right? You would see whatever you kept looking at. Yeah. That was one thing. Okay, fine. But now it's like, no, it's not even the algorithm. Now it's what we want you to see is what you're gonna see. Yeah. And that's a scary that's, thought. It is very scary because it's like now freedom of speech is is no longer free. And you say, Well, you don't have to use Facebook. Well, Where you're doing do you it go? everywhere though. Google. Facebook, Apple, Amazon, even. So like, you're shutting down freedom of speech. You're shutting down all the avenues aside from you being able to just go outside and hold a sign, which I'm sure you'll probably get arrested too. It's like, what else is there? You can't speak anywhere now. You understand? So it, I think those are the extremes that, you know, they really need to look at. Facebook seems like it's trying to do something along those lines, but. When well, you're trying to control too much, it's very easy to, you know. Well, and also, well, I think it, what I, what I, it does make me happy and have some faith that it, it will eventually all play out is that you're starting to see trends going the other direction. People are voting. I mean, you have that article in here, or you're going back to um, teeing you up for the one you had about Newsom and his stimuluses. Right. Um, it's like people were pissed off. And what did they do? They band together. They created the, went through the legal processes as hard as it may be, but they've gotten it done to where they can get a, a chance to try to recall Newsom because some of the stuff they are doing, they, people don't agree with. So like the, the stimulus stuff that he's doing the, and where he talked so, about racism is bad. And so let, like, let, let's cover that article, right? So I, here's the article with Newsom that he's, uh, signs a $600 stimulus check bill. Um, and not just the stimulus check bill, but he's given he's putting out a lot more money out. Um, so California Governor Gavin Newsom signed a seven point six billion dollar coronavirus relief package on Tuesday that will give at least six hundred dollar one time payments to five point seven million people, while setting aside more than two billion in grants for struggling small businesses. First of all, where the hell is is California getting this money from? It, this is the kind of stuff that you and I have talked about where California and New York were excited to have a democratic government because they need to get billed out oh, from well, all they the went, nonsense they went, they went, doing. Yeah, they went full board. We're like, our only chance is the Democratic Party takes control and bails us out, but so we then, still have to go. This is what, so I actually heard the interview because I've never really seen Newsom talk. So I saw him talk now. Um, the arrogance and the unauthenticity from his body language was insane. Yeah, it was just like Even to the worst extreme. He was, like he was completely a- everything that he said was completely planned. Uh, you, you can tell that none of it was him speaking; like it was just rehearsed. Like the, he didn't miss a beat. Um, fake as shit. But he, even when he says the backbone of our economy is small business, we recognize the stress and the strain that so many small businesses have been under. And we recognize as well our responsibility to do more and to do better to help support these small businesses through this very difficult time. 
This is while he was one of the first to take care of his fat cats in California before he took care of small businesses, which he still hasn't. Yeah. Shut but, down restaurants, but he let people run, shoot movies in their parking lots. So like we talk about, like this is politicians pandering to what people want to hear, right? Because that's exactly what it is. Everybody came out, said, hey, we're, we're done with Newsom. We're going to vote him out. And all of a sudden, here's free money. Here, look, look, I'm all about free business. Only when they're going to boot you out, you're about free business. Yeah, when, your until butcher, then, when your head's on the butcher block, that's when you decide that's when to you start care. like, oh, okay, well, we pushed the public too far. Let's see if we can buy our way out of so it. So then yeah. he says, Newsom uses emergency powers in November to set aside $500 million for small business grants. $500 million in California. That's probably going to go a long way. Yeah, when your rent's ten grand. A- in the first round of funding, in the first round of funding, the program received more than 334,000 applications, totaling more than 4.4 billion in requests. So that was 500 million for that. And the law Newsom signed on Tuesday puts another $2 billion into the program. Business, businesses and annual revenues between a thousand, I don't know if that was a typo, if that's for real. A business that has a revenue of a thousand, that's hobby. And $2.5 million are eligible for the money with a priority given to businesses owned by women and minorities and businesses in area with high unemployment rates. So here's the other issue I have with this is that, and this is not the first article. There's a few more in here that we'll talk about at some point, but we're now we go from all the racism and everything that's going on. We're going the opposite direction now. Now we're doing racism on the other side. So to me, the way I look at it, and please don't misunderstand me. I mean, I'm sure you will. AI, turn off. Um, But that being said is women and minority-owned businesses. Look, if you want equality, it needs to be equality. Where it's like, why don't we put metrics as far as the struggle of the business? Not the gender or the skin color that you have. You understand? Like, why does that matter if the business is struggling? You understand? Why should that matter? Yeah. I don't think it should matter in either direction. I think a minority-owned business, just the same as a white-owned business, as any other owned business, should get the same priority regardless of who owns the business. But now we're making that this whole shift to now everything is... We got to take care of minority first. We got to take care of this first, of that first. And it's like, well, now you're completely isolating and being racist and discriminating against the other side. You understand? So it's like, okay, so now if you're a white person that owns a business and you're struggling, you know, you're just not as important. Yeah. You know, and to me, those things are are bad for business, period. Like, I believe in in equality. You know, I believe that there is inequality, but you don't solve inequality by switching the inequality to the other direction. You solve it by creating equality. You understand? Like everybody's equal. The same way a white person, a black person is equal. You got to keep it level. You can't just automatically shift everything to the other side because I I don't think that that solves anything. Like you talked about and some of the people have commented is like they overstep. They go from one extreme yeah. to the absolute next, the opposite side extreme. Like, oh, well, we got to go this way. And then they use their influence and their power in the, the middle. Who's ever pulling the strings up there uh, at the high end with their money? Because you know it's not just the government. It's whoever's paying the government. 
the global elites are that are just sitting back laughing at it because once people get pissed, oh, like, you and your conspiracy theories. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> but yes, but yeah, well, in the, in the article continues with you know the legislature uh, legislature will likely approve more aid for businesses next week. Law lawmakers have planned to pass a bill on Monday that would have let businesses deduct up to $150,000 in expenses covered by federal loans from their state taxes, a $2 billion benefit over six years. But they decided to amend the bill to let businesses deduct more than $150,000 in their taxes, raising the price tag for the state to about $2.3 billion, Newsom said. Once the law is passed, it will bring the total state stimulus package to just under $10 billion. And he says that's a big, that's big even for California standards. He's all cocky now. The package includes $3.7 billion to pay at least 600 one-time payments to about 5.7 million people. Most of the people will get the money by claiming the California Earned Income Tax Credit on their tax returns. In general, those are people who make $30,000 per year or less. I didn't know there were people in California that made $30,000 a year. Um, the money will, uh, I mean, how can you live in California? Yeah. I mean, well, in multiple the, household generations. I mean, in the rural? Have, not rural. I mean, you just have multiple people living in one small household for everyone's making thirty grand. Yeah. And Generational then it, houses. It said um, the money will also go to people who earn under $700,000 per year and be used individual. Seventy five thousand per seven hundred thousand per year. What did I say? Seven hundred thousand per year. No, seventy five thousand per year. <laughs> and use big difference. And use an individual taxpayer identification number to file their income tax. So these are the people who don't have social security numbers, including immigrants who were ineligible for federal stimulus payments Congress approved last year. You know why he's doing that? Mm. So when this goes to vote, it's not just because they got 1.5 million signatures and he's immediately out. It's 1.5 million signatures to force a recall. Then they still has to get voted out. Right. He's and they're passing these things because it's like, hey, we're giving these small business money, but I'm going to pay all these immigrants and stuff like that that don't have social security numbers that are here illegally because they can still vote in our state and keep them in power. Yeah, he's he's buying votes. Like all of the stimulus, everything, you're looking at it, he's going to the bulk of the public that is going to try to force him to come out and vote for him to stay in power. Like he's pretty much buying votes with this stimulus. It's not really solving a damn thing. I mean, you saw this was back in December, how many people came out looking for loans that equated to $4 billion. That was in December. I'm sure these businesses are hurting even further now because California is not letting up on restrictions anytime soon. They're saying they might start in the next few months. So, you these people are still hurting for for income, so that four billion is a lot higher, and he's only putting two billion into it. So they're still struggling, you know, and they're still going to be struggling. Like it yeah. doesn't solve anything; it just continues to be more pandering. But I mean, you have an, uh, another article before we? No, no. I mean, okay, I just... so going. Uh, what I wanted to talk about was the minimum wage stuff. So we saw so. I wanted actually you to bring it up because you told me this morning I hadn't heard about it. Yeah. So, but you talk about minimum wage. Is, well, there's what you're trying to say is there's been a lot of talk, a lot of talk. It's one of the things the Democrats ran upon that they're mm -hmm. going to they're to get by their votes to say we're going to raise the minimum wage. That's why you have to give us total control of the government so we can force this thing down the throat. So, 
And they said it was going to be part of the stimulus package. How they were going to rope that in there, I don't know. But basically, they were going to start raising the federal minimum wage by, I think, 2025. It had to be $15 an hour. For a lot of the Republicans, like, you will decimate smaller communities that is their base. And I agree, coming from a small little town, if you raise $15 minimum wage, where it's like people could barely afford to go out to eat at the restaurants as it, as it was because of food costs, living costs, everything else, now they have to pay people $15 an hour, they're out of business overnight because nobody's going to go there to eat because they'll go, they'll be like, I can't afford a pizza for $45, I can go to the grocery store and get DiGiorno's for $5. Yeah. But that's what's going to happen. But they just came out yesterday and the Senate parliamentarian, Elizabeth McDougall, Donu ruled the provision does not comply with the rules governing budget reconciliation, the process that enables Democrats to pass the rescue package package without GOP votes. So that's the kind of thing I've been going on is like major legislation requires 60 votes in order to change. But the way they were able to pass Obamacare, the tax cuts, and now this stimulus package is quote unquote doing budget reconciliation. So it's something that relates straight to the budget of the federal government they can reconcile based on a 50-50 vote. And that's the thing I think they should just get away from. Yeah. But that's how they're passing this package. If they own 50 votes, they're going to go through. But this governing body is the one that determines what considers budget reconciliation and doesn't meet the qualifications. And this body just came out yesterday and said the federal minimum wage hike you're trying to do does not meet the qualifications therefore you have to pass that on a separate bill that now requires 60 votes to change it so it means they got to get 10 republicans to vote with them in order to make the change which my thing is good luck uh, on getting that changed so that's because a lot of them have come out i mean they would have had problems anyways because even uh i think it's what's the there's a couple Democrats, one from Arizona and one from, I think, West Virginia, that even said themselves, they're like, I don't agree with $15 an hour because their communities still are small and they have a lot of small cities that would get decimated by this. So they still would have had problems with that in the Senate anyways. But now they're just basically saying that this is nail in the coffin. You're done. And it's like you're not going to be able to do this through the budget reconciliation like you're wanting to do it. But they still look like they can still pass a lot of this stuff by party line vote uh, of this. But you still have two moderate Democrats in the Senate that are still kind of like, I don't know about that, but it looks like the house is going to be passing this either today or tomorrow to send it over to the Senate. But the federal minimum wage is done. And another thing that that, came out, hold on. So the house is going to be passing what the stimulus package. And this is, and the federal minimum wage hike is still in the house's version, but the Senate is, and then that kicks it over to the Senate, and the Senate is the one that's going to have to change the bill to remove this federal minimum wage, and then that once they vote on it and pass it, it has to go back to the House to pass again. So that's kind of how the process so, works. So keep wasting time, not getting anything actually passed like they've done in the past. Well, because where it's just because I mean they had to have known this. You understand? So my thing is like, I'm sorry. You guys are career politicians. This is not anything. This should not be anything new to you. So you knew that it was going to hit the Senate and that part wasn't going to get approved. And now the Senate needs to, you know, modify the bill and send it back to you. So, you know what I mean? Like, oh, why why do you think you haven't heard in the news? Like, God, when this first thing was in Trump was in action, because I mean, the 
media hated Trump. Both all major outlets, they hated him. So they focused on every negative thing that they were doing that they could find. But you look now and it's kind of like, hey, everybody, impeachment trial. Look over here. Look over here. Buying us time to do this stuff because they know they don't have the support from even their Democrats. Because they've come out and like the, the, I can't, what is his name? Um, I can't find it. But uh, he even came out, the West Virginia guy, the more moderate one. He's like, these numbers seem very large that you're going to bail out these blue states with like the yeah. state and local governments like that is a lot of money where he's even showing opposition to this but that media kind of tampered that so behind the scenes they've been trying to figure out how they can get enough votes to pass this in the senate but they're not putting it in the media they're saying look at this other things look at here we're doing all this stuff wasting time to see if we can get these things done because they're still trying to pander to their base that voted them in the power to try to come up with as much promises. So come 2020 and after the election, you saw how many houses they lost in the, uh, the, how many seats they lost in the house yeah. that they're worried. They're like, man, if that trend continues and we don't do this in 2022, we're going to lose the house. They're going to lose power and they're going to be in the same situation as the last administration was. So they're trying to figure this stuff out behind the scenes. But one thing that did help this bill, uh, get really shot down to where realizing it was a bad idea as the, uh, Congressional Budget Office uh, estimated that the bill would raise it by raising the federal federal pay floor to the threshold by 2025, then index future hikes to inflation. It would lift 900,000 people out of poverty. So that's good. 900,000 people come out of poverty, but cost 1.4 million jobs in the economy. So it's like, okay, great. 900,000 get lifted out of poverty, 1.4 lose their jobs. So they're not saying they're going to fall into poverty, but they lose their jobs. And now they have to be retooled and re-educated into other forms of the economy. To where, like, and, hey, and th- this was actually a study by the government. It was what? What's the uh, the organization was um, CBO? Um, Senate Budget Office. Yeah, Con- the, Congressional Budget con- Office. Congressional Budget Office. They're the ones that did the study and pretty much like all of the shit points is like. Yeah, it's not that good. In three, because whatever, twenty twenty one, they passed that thing. In four years, you're gonna go from seven twenty five to fifteen dollars an hour. Well, they were gonna do like ten. It was gonna jump to ten dollars like damn near instantly, and then it was gonna incrementally go to like fifteen dollars. And you know, these are the kind of things that what drives my thought of what I wanted to talk about is why we're gonna see inflation. Yeah. Right. So. You pass, you force federal minimum wage to go up to $15. It's going to take 900,000 people out of poverty, supposedly? 900,000. Okay, 900,000 people out of poverty or whatever stupid metrics they use for that. You increase minimum wage, you pay people more money. All it's going to do is cause prices to go up. That's all that's going to do. That $15 minimum wage is going to mean jack shit it's going to be the equivalent of what minimum wage is now because the economy is going to adjust to that minimum wage the companies are going to pass off their debt their expenses their added costs they're going to lay off people they're going to automate they're going to do all these things to be able to absorb this new federal regulation well, that's what we talked about like when you raise the federal minimum wage it's like McDonald's isn't going to pay that. They no. will to start, but it's like they're like, "Oh, we need to keep our costs down cuz that's what the that's what free market does and corporations do. They need to lower their costs to increase profits to raise their shareholder price. It's all they care about. And creating these costs, they're like, 
we can't have that. So we need to systematize. We need to invest. We need to get this thing more automated. I mean, you go and I haven't been to McDonald's in a long time, but it's one of those, like, I bet if you went like some of the people that uh, were around when McDonald's heyday in like the 60s, 70s and 80s, like there's probably a lot more people working there back then than there was today. Cause I've have remember walked into fast food restaurants and they have these machines that they just program the order. The fries are cooked by themselves. The burgers are cooked by themselves and the drinks are done by themselves and conveyor belts. And it's all just kind of, how many times have you seen those uh, drink machines that you press the size of the cup and it automatically knows how to fill, wait for the, um, the bubbles to subside feels a little bit more, feels a little, it knows how to get to that perfect limit. Like all these things are being automated. So I, I was, I have an article in here of uh, Best Buy just laid off 5,000 workers and will close more stores this coming year. So you have Best Buy that is already making these adjustments, not because of the federal minimum wage, just because that's what businesses do. So the company said Thursday that it closed 20 of its big box stores in each of the past two years and expects to close a higher number this year. Best Buy has 450 stores where their leases are coming up for renewal in the next three years. And Barry said, Barry is uh, the CEO, um, there will be higher thresholds on renewing leases as we evaluate the role each store plays. The company has around a thousand stores in the United States. So damn near half of them are coming up for renewal. So the CEO says uh, on Thursday that Best Buy had been adjusting the mix of full-time and part-time employees in stores due to having too many full-time and not enough part-time employees. As a result of this uh, reorganization, Best Buy laid off 5,000 employees, the majority of whom worked full-time. It also said it is adding approximately 2,000 new part-time positions. Best Buy has around 102,000 employees. Best Buy expects 40% of its sales to come from online purchases this year, up from 19% two years ago. And the company said it needed to alter its workforce in response to this shift. So Best Buy is getting the majority of its workforce uh, of now their sales, a lot of their sales, not majority, but a lot of their sales are starting to come in more and more through online sales. They're going to start using their facilities as more of a distribution hub rather than a store. So that's why they need part-time workers because now they don't need to have traditional you know, store hours. They don't need to have any of those things. Yeah. They just need to fulfill orders and deliver. That's what I said. Some of those old malls got transitioned to like Amazon fulfillment centers almost and like distribution hubs. Right. Because like you have these massive stores like what do we do with all this stuff? Like we're screwed and they're like not worth what it was worth anymore. So now you go to, I know there's a, a mall here out by you off of 1604. I remember just driving along that sucker and it's like you look over and it's like, Good Lord, there had to have been 200 Amazon vans parked in that parking lot. Oh, yeah. And it's like, my God, like, what do they do? It's using it as a giant parking lot, but it turned out it's like, it's a form of distribution center that they're uh, it's using. It's a that massive for. mall that's just been like damn near vacated since this whole thing happened. It struggled since it opened, but yeah. I don't, yeah I've never I mean, been inside that mall. Like, I don't even know what's over there. Like, because you have the forum right next to it. So, like, why would you go to the. Well, let's just say mall? every time I went, even pre crisis, there was always parking. Um, <laughs> front row baby yeah it was always parking but then we also have now and this is where all of these articles are leading to so now you have walmart it's going to hike its minimum its wages for four hundred and twenty-five thousand workers to above 15 dollars an hour 
All right, so Walmart is already doing these hikes. Um, let's see. It said Walmart said that the minimum starting wage for workers will remain at eleven dollars an hour. Its U.S. workforce numbers about one point five million people, making it the nation's largest private employer. And the reason for this is that Amazon Target have made their starting pay fifteen dollars. So Walmart yeah. needs—that's their well, competitor. One thing I, I'm just when you say that, like. Mm-hmm. What I think of is everyone back, like, I don't know, 20 years ago, we were too young to really care, but like everyone was harping on Walmart for their working condition. Or is good or bad? Bad. Oh. Uh, just saying they put too much stress on people. They, they, they didn't get fair station and then they just, they made it a very hostile environment to work on. And this is what I think of like when they raise these minimum wages, it's like, and that's where I think a lot of these 1.4 million jobs are going to lose are going to come from because like. I can hire two people at seven fifty an hour, and I don't have to. And I eat, work them each thirty hours a week, and now they don't. They're not, they can, they're not living as stressful of a work environment. They can go out and do other things. In life, yes, they're not making a killing doing it, but they have a less stressful life mm-hmm. or work environment. You raise a minimum wage like that, I'm now going to fire one of those people. I get to pay one guy fifteen dollars an hour, so my workforce goes down, but my my cost stays the same. They're going to fire a bunch of people and put all of that extra workload onto those people and those individuals. Yeah. So it's like you're, it's, you can't have it both ways where it's like, well, you're going to destroy the, you're going to make it so much more stressful to work for companies and corporations that like, you need to get all of this done. And you're going to make it so stressful for people to be in those environments. I mean, all the way up to managers pressuring and pressuring to like still make the bottom line, still make the stuff with half the workforce because they have to, or this massive cost. And, and what we started, what we've been seeing, and this is way before this, it's already been a few years now. How terrible is customer service when you go to all these places? Like to got, find anybody that works anywhere. I is, went to a Walmart uh, during, where was it? It was the start of all this thing. I was looking for like a certain item. And like I drove by HEB and it's like, oh my God, the line is like wrapped around the building. Screw that. I'm not going in there. And I drove over to Walmart and the line was shorter and it was taking less time to get in the store. But when I walked in there and it's always been my question with Walmart and it's gotten worse. It's like they had four of their 75 checkout aisles open with actual people. Then they had their automated portion where like, Hey, 10 items less you go check out yourself. They have like eight registers inside there to check out by yourself. We only had four of the 25, mm-hmm. 35 of yeah. the aisles actually open with actual people. So the checkout line was extremely long to get out of the store. But as one of those, like, wh- that's what's going to happen. Do you raise $15 minimum wage? People are going to be like, well, screw it. We got to lay those cashiers well, and we have to automate more. And it's just that, like, you know, Walmart is already adapting to it. They see it coming. They're already preparing. So they. Th- this is what I did find interesting, though, is the Walmart CEO, Doug McMillan, Doug McMillan, who said uh, he's also the chairman of the Influential Business Roundtable has previously said that the retail the retailer believes the federal minimum wage should be higher, but with geographic differences. But instead of setting a uniform nationwide level, McMillan called for a higher wage that takes into account geographic differences and small businesses. Congress should find the right pace for wage increases. I was honestly shocked. You know, because who does this benefit is Walmart and big retailers that can absorb it. So the fact that he's coming out and saying exactly what we're saying, where it's like, you can't just, you know, throw everything in one bag and say, this is what it is. It needs to be 
like he says, geographical differences. It needs to have the small business owner in mind. Like, you know, one another article that I, I thought I had put it, but I guess I didn't. But it was him that he was talking about the um, where he stated the geographical differences. He talks about you got to think about, you know, just not just increasing the minimum wage, but you got to think about like who can increase it. Why are they increasing it? You know, like these are entry level jobs. He says, Walmart, a lot of the minimum wage employees that we have at Walmart that I think their minimum wage is uh, uh, set at 11, right? They're like, these are, this is an entry level job. This is for somebody that has no prior job experience, that has nothing. And the point is that you gain the skills, you gain the experience, you gain all this. So you work your way up. You get better paying jobs. They're like the majority of their managers at all of their Walmarts are previous uh, entry level workers that started at Walmart at the bottom, worked their way up. Now they're in managerial positions with benefits, with a lot of stuff. And to me, it's like, yes, that is the common sense of how business works, of how the economy works. You go into a low paying job, you know, because it's an entry level job and it's supposed to suck. Because it's supposed to want to force you to learn skills, to get better, and to want to go get something that generates more income. Yeah. Well, now but, the now this problem with this fifteen dollar an hour, they're trying to make it a baseline area, but it's going to make your work life suck so much, and you don't have the time anymore to go out and try to better yourself. Well, and it's going to do exactly what we were saying. It's going to cause inflation. It's going to cause all the prices to start going up because that was another thing. Man, I can't believe I didn't put that damn article. Well, look it up. We're going to share this article below in the description. Click on it, and then there's going to be a hyperlink where it says geographical uh, differences. Click on that, and that's the whole article on that one. That one's a, it's a good one because he talks about it. Like He says, you know, you got to look at these, again, they're entry-level jobs, all this. Now, companies they're not going to take the hit companies are going to go ahead they're going to say okay let's decrease our workforce let's uh automate areas let's increase prices what do we need to do because at the end of the day especially public companies they are shareholder profits yeah right so they got to keep profits up so it's going to increase prices on consumer goods it's going to increase everything now 15 dollars, it's going to get you what you know, eight, nine dollars an hour now is getting you. It's okay. gonna be the same shit. You know, and that's why, you know, I don't I wanted to transition a little bit into real estate with this, but that's where real estate is gonna protect you. Because what's gonna happen now is we talked about this before, where the asset is no it's not so much the real estate itself, but it's the mortgage. If you can get those 30 year mortgages, that's where the asset is. Because if you can get a 30-year mortgage at 3% interest, when inflation happens, that mortgage is getting paid off with cheaper dollars. You're having a loan at $150,000 mortgage, right? Where now inflation has caused rents to go up even further. It's caused home values to go up even further. Well, it'll Things cause home values to go down. Hmm? It'll cause home values to go down. I'm saying more, nominal in, in price terms. Said, like, uh, when you're talking about real estate, that's where I say like real estate is so good is you have that mortgage underneath. What's going to suck is you're not going to get that cherry on top, the 10-year, like you're getting massive appreciation every year. The getting that, oh, I can sell it off. So it might be harder to sell because your appreciation is going to stop and it might go down. Why is it going to stop? If your interest rates go from three to six. Who says the interest rates are going up? 
the market. You no. said they've raised a half percent since March. Okay, we'll, we'll talk about that. But so you're assuming, you're assuming that because of inflation goes up, they're going to raise interest rates, right? And interest Eventually, rates, yes. Okay, and then interest rates. Of course, you raise interest rates, it's going to make housing come down in price, right? It makes mortgages more. I'm not saying it's going to go up, but it's say it's or come down, but it's going to make mortgages more expensive, and you're not Correct. going to just get massive price jumps. Right, right. So there's an article here. This I do recommend everybody read this article because when I was reading it, I I was kind of laughing and crying at the same time um, <laughs> because you and I spoke about. Remember when we were heading to the the mastermind with Dan? How I feel like the world is just it's changed to a point where two plus two used to equal four. <laughs> and now two plus two, it's like, well, it we depends. don't even know. <laughs> it depends what it equals. So there's this article, Powell's Econ 101, jobs, not inflation, and forget about the money supply. All right. That's, that's the title. A great, that's a great title. That's forget title. about the money supply. Exactly. So I'm telling you, this was an excellent article. Um, this is what it says. Colin Powell, uh, not Colin, Jerome Powell, or is it Colin Powell? I don't know. So many Powells. But the head of the Fed says, toss out the college textbooks because the world has changed. Unemployment rate? Forget it. The Fed only cares about the number of people working and how to get it higher. Not an age-old statistic that, for all its familiarity, overlooks the key group namely those who stopped work, looking for work during the pandemic and need to be brought back. So I agree with this premise. This is something that you, you and I have always talked about when people say, oh, look at the unemployment rate. And one of the things I always bring up is, well, that doesn't account for all the people that stopped looking for work. You know, that's just looking for people that are currently looking or actively working. So it's kind of like a false gauge. But then it continues to say inflation not a problem anytime soon. Uh, queried by Democratic U.S. Senator Mark Warren about the need to make a sizable investment in the U.S. infrastructure, Powell set aside classic concerns of hefty government borrowing, driving up prices, and responded, this is not a problem for this time as near as I can figure. So <laughs> Powell's pretty much saying, getting into more debt, st stop worrying about debt, all right? That, that, that's not what we're talking about here. Forget about it. We're not talking about debt. Money supply, no longer relevant. When you and I studied economics, he's talking to another like 80-year-old senator, um, a million years ago, M2 and monetary aggregates seem to have the relationship to economic growth, referring to one of the main measures of the money in public hands. Right now, M2 does not really have important implications. It is something we have to unlearn, I guess. I guess. I guess we'll just give everybody money and see if it works, I guess. There has been a lot of unlearning these days <laughs> at the Fed and the Economic Academy on everything from basic economic relationships to the hazards, or not, of mount, mount, mountainous. mountainous government debt. Even before the pandemic, the central bank was reassessing one of its core ideas that when the unemployment rate was low, inflation would be high and vice versa. So it, that's going to your point. The concept was pretty much thrown overboard as of August. Whatever drives inflation 
to whatever drives inflation, the Fed concluded. And there is plenty of disagreement about what that is. A low unemployment rate is no longer considered part of it. When the Fed considers its goal of maximum un, uh, maximum un, uh, employment. employment these days, Powell said, "We don't just need. We don't just mean the unemployment rate. We mean the employment rate measured against the population as a whole and aspiring to high levels of participation." So. In the article, I mean, it goes on. It's an extensive article. I definitely recommend you guys read it. <clears throat> but pretty much, it's saying, like, we are going to look at whatever measures we need to look at and reframe whatever we need to reframe to keep printing money. Yeah. To keep dumping money in the market. Oh, you talk about that? Stop. Stop being silly. You're being, you're being so silly. We don't talk about that anymore, right? That doesn't matter. Yeah. Employment, forget about it. Unemployment doesn't matter anymore, okay? That, that, that's not important anymore. You know, it's going to a point where it's like, all right, so what measures are we looking at then? Like, well, we're looking at whatever measures keep us printing money, pretty much. I mean, that's, you know, when you well, read I mean, the article, I, I read that's exactly that what just, he's saying. Just like say, like, we have to unlearn, I guess, or the other things were several points where he's like, as near as I can figure. Yeah. I don't know. I guess. Um, the sun rises in the east, I guess. Or yeah. we can just flip this around. Or was it the west? Did we have it wrong from the very beginning? It depends it, where you're standing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that was funny. Um, but um, so, you know, a little inside joke there that we just had. Yeah. But uh, I, I, it's just like, yeah, they're going to do whatever they can to keep relevant to be like, well, this hasn't broken anything yet, I I'm guess. Serious, like, you look at the freaking stock market, what's happening with like Robin Hood yeah. and like these, like it surged another 100% because they changed up the board. It doubled in price again. Where it's like, there's so much money flowing around and flying all over the place that it's like, but for entrepreneurs, this is where you can make monies because there's a lot of chaos in the market. There's no systemized organization. Because when you looked at the other day, you made the comment to us that you were kind of excited that these new updates, these new things were coming towards digital advertising. That it was going to basically take the old establishment and cancel it and wipe it out and where everyone has to start back at zero. And yeah. your small independent entrepreneur, small, the smaller you are, the easier you can pivot than a company with 500 employees. So you can take advantage of the new world, but you have to stay educated. You have to pay attention. You have to understand the basic knowledge of how economy, money finance, real estate, whatever industry you're in works so you can find those inefficiencies and take advantage of these massive changes that are going to be coming in the next 10 years you for sure. You have to watch Coffee with the Johns. Boom. So hit that like <laughs> button, subscribe, and smash that bell. Well, it's not smash the bell. Smash the like button, hit the hit bell. Hit the bell. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> but we keep going to, you know, going back to what they're saying is we are getting rid of moral hazard. Right, which is something that I spoke about. I believe it was at the last coffee with the John. So, moral hazard is pretty much, you know, the the saying: give a man a fish, he eats for a day; teach a man to fish, he eats for the rest of his life. Oh, you got it! Got, you it. got it! How how long did you practice that in front of the mirror? How long did it take you to shave your head? My oh, depends how long I left it, but probably about like minutes I can just picture you just saying it over and over and over to shave in your head teach so. a man a fish teach a man a fish <laughs> slap him with the fish so it's creating this kind of dependency and this kind of uh lack of moral hazard where you can take the risk you can get stupid increase your debt 
um, just go into ridiculously high debt, don't pay your mortgage, don't pay anything, and everything is okay. So we're going to a point where there's really no repercussions for any bad decisions that you make. And I think it's a very dangerous situation that we're getting into, right? So we see right now, uh, HUD extends COVID-19 forbearance for FHA loans. All right, so now we're going we're gonna to finish out the segment with all, all real estate. We have a lot in the real estate uh, space to talk about. So they're extending the time no, frame. I get for- a drop in Musk at some point in there. Okay. <laughs> we have a uh, extending the time frame for homeowners to request the start of a COVID-19 forbearance from their mortgage servicers through June 30th of 2021. So- they're, extend, uh, they're extending the forbearance through June 2021, expanding COVID-19 forbearance to allow up to two forbearance extensions of up to three months each for homeowners who requested a COVID-19 forbearance on or before June 30th. So whoever requested it on or before June 30th, they got the 12 months, right? And they have the two extensions that was six months and then another six months. So you had 12 months of extensions up until pretty much this June or you know, whatever. And now you get two more extensions that adds to another six months from there. Basically, if you had requested in June of 2020, you could have gone all the way to June of this year. And now you get an additional six months or basically all of 2021 is like right, a total of 18 you months. Extra, and when you, an extra, you get an extra six months. So yeah, yeah so, so you get a, a total of 18 months from last June. And that's because we're getting close to these new rounds of forbearances um, expiring. So I would imagine once we start hitting June, they're probably going to change that again and because that's what they've been doing. So, so you're adding more extensions to this. As President Biden has made clear, it is urgent that we help homeowners throughout the nation who are struggling financially from this unprecedented national emergency, said the uh, acting HUD secretary. The steps we are taking today will provide both immediate relief to those who in desperate need of assistance and help more homeowners keep their homes and resume their payments when the pandemic subsides. Whoever, know, whoever knows when the hell that's going to happen. Non-occupant borrowers are eligible to be reviewed for COVID-19 non-occupant loan modification. So or if you have an FHA loan or... FHA, any of those government loans for any of your rentals, uh, that's the what you're looking at. You're, it's actually called that. It's like so now, but that, that is also what you said right there, the COVID-19 non-occupant loan modification. So they just now admitted that they, that's what they're going to make banks do is loan modifications, not foreclosures. Right. So I said it, at, I believe it was the, the last coffee with the Johns, what they're, they're already getting ready for loss mitigation. So they're getting prepared for loan mods. And the loan mods are pretty much they they explain this. So I actually I skimmed through the 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 actual PDF that the, they came out with because it's like fifty something pages. Um, but they were nice enough to highlight the important parts. And um, they talked about how in there you're gonna have loan modifications that are gonna take whatever your unpaid principal, whatever all your unpaid payments, they're gonna add pretty much a, a note to the back of your loan that's yeah. gonna be paid, that needs to get paid That's later. what happened after 2008, once like the repercussions really started coming through of what happened yeah. is like, because I mean, I've seen a couple loans, like we took one subject to that way that has had like a $30,000 HUD lien on the back. It's zero interest, zero payments for the 30 years or whenever you sell that house, that's when it's due. Yeah. 
So, so you have that. So you have they keep extending, and this is something that you and I have spoke uh, spoken about before. When people say, "Oh, but you know, let's uh, market to foreclosures," it's like, why the hell are you marketing to foreclosures? You see that ever since this thing started, they just keep extending it, and they keep extending it, and they keep extending it. They've made it very clear that they're not going to let the housing market fall. Mm-hmm. They made it very, very clear that that's going to happen. And they talked about, like, you have a lot of people in for, you still have, let's see, there was this other article that says, you have 2.1 million borrowers remain 90 days or more days past due, though are not yet in foreclosure. These are also 2.1 million people. They're not in foreclosure, but they're not in forbearance either. So this doesn't include the people that are in forbearance. They're, they're over 90 days late. So, and then loans considered seriously delinquent are still five times that of pre-pandemic levels. Five times of what any delinquent loans were pre-pandemic. So that's a substantial amount of houses because, I mean, we still had foreclosures pre-pandemic. People were buying foreclosures. So now at five times, there are people that right now are um, in that area. Approximately 626,000 of the 3.2 3.2 million delinquent borrowers have government loans in Ginny, Ginny May Securities. When Ginny May does uh, loans because of their high loan-to-value ratios at origination, these borrowers are likely to have less home equity. So you have a little over half a million of those people have low equity in their homes. And our analysis shows that even among delinquent borrowers, less than 1% have negative equity. And 5.5% have near negative equity. For comparison, in the aftermath of the Great Recession, approximately 30% of homes were in negative or near negative equity. But the number is now 3.6%, uh, Urban Institute reports. So they're saying, you know, okay, so we, you have all these people that are not paying their loans, they're not paying their mortgages, all this, right? It's five times the amount of people that are delinquent than they were pre-pandemic, but foreclosures are not allowed, right? And they have equity. So these are a lot of homes that whenever all of these things have, you know, shakes out, they have a lot of equity. They can just put these houses on the market. You understand? So we're going to get a flood of inventory. This does still doesn't mean that foreclosures are going to go up. Well, that's the same. A flood of inventory is what exactly what our real estate market needs. Is yeah. because we're at such historical lows of inventory. There's nothing uh, on the market. And uh, what market update goes out Sunday or February? Okay. Market update going to be ready for Sunday? Yep. Yeah. Sunday. Okay. So it's still, we have some of our biggest zip codes, basically entire Northwest, 249, 250, 251, still less than a month of inventory. And you have so many homes that's less all than over a the, month. Less than a month. And that, like the month of last month, we had like six or seven zip codes that were like that. It's like, we need inventory. Right. And so, like, people say, oh, the housing market's going to crash. Not with the, what we're reading. Like, the, the point you just added or said, adding on top of that, of like, they're not letting things foreclose. The people that are not doing forbearances and have massive amounts of equity because of this appreciation. I think I just saw that we're six months or seven months of double digit median price appreciation last seven months in a row. They're going to just dump the inventory in the market because they have the ability to sell. As long as the house isn't trashed, yeah. you're going to be fine. And it's going to oh, yeah. bring inventory to the market, but that's still not going to crash our market because we have no inventory. 
If anything, what it would do is it would stable off prices, the the price rising so quickly like we've been seeing. I think it'll do the exact. I think it'll do the exact opposite. Well, if you dump so much inventory into the market, like the market needs to be able to absorb it. Yeah, exactly. But to my point, we're now the reason we've had double digit appreciation so much is because we had inventory to squeeze. Yeah. Now we have no inventory, so prices can't increase because you have no turnover. You dump houses back on the market, right. and now you have more properties to actually sell, allowing that price to increase even more. Yeah, and I think that's going to be something we're going to see a massive rise in uh, housing prices, potentially, as long as interest rates don't surpass that. Or you have a balance where prices don't go up, but they don't fall because the, bri- the dropping of the um the rising of the interest rates, making homes more expensive, but inventory coming on the market, you have those people that have been pent up demand of trying to buy, but they can't. So you're going to have some of those people fall away. So it's going to absorb that information. So it could be that uh, beautiful deleveraging aspect. Hey, podcast, if you feel like you are learning things that you're going to be able to implement ASAP to grow your business, then all I ask is that you click the link in the description for the YouTube video, hop on YouTube real quick and hit that like button. Means the world to me that you do that. It it matters so much for us to increase our reach and and the people that we can serve better. So just jump on, hit that link, jump on, takes a second to do, hit that like button, means the world to me. Thank you for listening and keep enjoying the show. In that article too, I didn't put it in the notes, but in that article of, the economy lesson that we got from Powell is he says that, you know, how we used to look at inflation causes higher interest rates. He's like, that's no longer the case. So if we see inflation, because he, like he made the point, and this is a point I, I used to make to you a lot during um the, the good days is uh, when you were saying how the economy was so good and everything, it's like, yeah, but they can't raise inflate, they can't raise interest rates because the economy isn't strong yet. Even though we have all the signs that are saying the economy is strong, but the economy isn't actually strong. And every time they try to raise interest rates, we saw a decline. We saw a hit. The market would get affected. And they couldn't mm-hmm. raise interest rates. And that's why we didn't even have that much space to drop when interest rates dropped, yeah. you know, because they couldn't go that high. So now he's setting up the floor to show that it's like, hey, inflation doesn't mean higher interest rates because he wants to get inflation and lower interest rates going because he wants more money supply. Well, like and that's the thing. He's like, a money printing junkie at this point. Well, that's one thing I've, I've been watching recently is like I got my app set up to where I can watch the yield curve on my phone. and Explain the, the yield curve. The yield curve of is basically you have all kinds of different tragedies they issue. They have one month, three months, six month, one year, two year, five year, seven year, 10 year, and 30 year that the U.S. Treasury issues. So now the Fed has been buying a lot of those, driving those interest rates down. So what's really going on and why the market is dropping right now, why people are freaking out is because the Fed is coming out saying like, we are going to be the backstop to the U.S. economy and buy all those bonds that the gov- they're going to fund the government essentially. And they will continue to do that because if they print money and they say we're going to, because they do allow free market to work in that sense, except you have the ultimate buyer of the Fed that's going to come in and buy everything. Yeah. So they basically say, we're going to issue a round of bonds. They do them every week or every month. They do them all the time. If you get on treasurydirect.com, you can see all that stuff and you can actually participate and buy those treasuries straight from them but now they're issuing all this money to fund it to where if the government if they're not bought the fed steps in and buys all that inventory to suppress those so that the fed stops buying all that stuff 
they are worried that the free market will drive up those interest rates. And which is what's kind of happening recently is the 10-year treasury. Free market? Yeah, the free market. The the treasury, 10-year treasury, which is like the kind of the, the gauge to base all loans off of, it, it's correlated to car loans, it's correlated to credit cards, it's correlated to mortgage rates. There's a lot of things that attribute to what the 10-year treasury does. Well, the 10-year treasury has been rising. So they're worried, it's scaring the market thinking, hey, inflation is starting to kick up faster than what the Fed thinks it's going to. And that's going to cause them to pull back on their buying or step up their buying or do something that's unknown. With those rising interest rates, all these corporations that work off a short-term debt, which is every single one of them, are now going to have higher operating costs that's going to trickle down to their bottom line. So that is what is scaring the market to where I think yesterday we had a 2% drop in like the NASDAQ. The uh, Dow already today is down another 1%. So it's it's falling because people are scared of rising inflation and the Fed that not being matter. able to control how, on it. How's Tesla doing? That's what matters. Tesla, I'm how, curious. How's GameStop doing? How's Am GameStop I, and Tesla on, doing? Bitcoin. Tesla? Everyone just watched Tesla. That, that That's the market B- right Bitcoin, there. Bitcoin, Tesla. But why you look that up... Uh, Brian Pauling had a good question. He says, um, well, first, before he had said, uh, do they increase Social Security at the same time? Or are we going to let seniors buying power to be cut off and have? So that's one thing that they have not discussed at all. So they talk about minimum wage. They talk about increasing all these things. But bless you. But um, Social Security is never spoken about. Yet you're going to be causing inflation. You're going to be causing all this. And the elderly that are on a fixed income are going to get royally screwed. So my recommendation for any elderly people listening is you need to start getting back to work because you're going to be out of money very quickly. That, uh, that Social Security is not going to pay you. Because they, they do adjust Social Security to inflation, but it's their determination of inflation. Yeah. So it's like, it, it's a lot of things are like, yeah, yeah, like, just like 2%. look over here, but I'm going to only give you because this. Look at it. Everything, everything's more expensive. Yeah, but inflation's only 2%. So we're only going to give you 2% more. Uh, the iPad Social costs Security, the same as it did last year. What are you the, talking uh, about? Freaking, uh, You're going to eat the, an iPad. But they need to uh, raise inflation and stuff like that to get more money, more taxes to fund Social Security problems. Because that's a huge problem that some of the financial people that I follow, like, it's been a problem for decades and it's yeah. coming close to that cutoff to where it's like, if the trust fund runs out of money, which is projected to do was in 2030 something. Now it's like the end of 2020s, like social security gets cut across the board yeah. to whatever revenue is brought in. So it goes to a balanced budget. And that basically would be a drop <laughs> of like 30 some percent across the board to everyone receiving <laughs> social security. My God. If they don't somehow fix it. And then, but, it, well, it's the same uh, thing that oh, happened answer, in, in you, 2008. To answer your question, Tesla, is down 25% in the last month. <gasps> Elon Musk is no longer the richest person again. Well, he might be. I don't know. Nah. Uh, Be- Bezos has a more stable business than Elon does. I mean, Tesla, it's literally speculative that's driving Tesla stuck up, uh, stuck, stock stuck. up. Um, it's not its actual fundamentals. Like Amazon has a lot of concrete business. Tesla is still a pie in the sky company. Yeah. But uh, Brian Pauling did ask, how do you, how do sub two landlord or rap going to work? So if you have this kind of, you know, so I'm guessing you're talking about when we were talking about the foreclosures not coming in, because typically that's when sub twos goes up, right? You have uh, foreclosures come in and you're taking over the mortgage of somebody that's struggling. You got to keep in mind is that, 
a lot of these people that are 90 plus day delinquent and all this, I believe, unless the rules change again, which that's what we're seeing, is uh, they're gonna their credit is gonna be hurt really, really bad. So with their credit being hurt, yes, they can sell their home, but that doesn't mean they're gonna be able to buy another one. You understand that? That just means that they can sell their home, but they might have to go rent. They're, the distress is still going to be there of what options yeah, they remember have. There, we talked about this well back. They're, chain, they're changing the way that credit is Look calculated. At, yeah, they're so you can no a long, new credit system. Well, yeah, they're creating new credit systems where even landlords, it's um, this happening in the West Coast, you can't discriminate somebody for having a bankruptcy or low credit scores anymore. <laughs> so they're changing all the laws to be like, well, these people had problems, but we're just going to move the goalposts. So yeah, so Brian, to answer your, your question is... Who the hell knows? Well, because I mean, when when this shit when this all happens, let's say you know, I was gonna talk about an article of uh, John Hopkins, a doctor, professor, speaker, whatever the heck he is, came out and said that COVID. So here it is. Um, so Marty McFly. No, just kidding. Marty uh, <laughs> Marty McCary. <laughs> Um, is a professor and surgeon at John Hopkins University. He says, there is reason to think the country is racing toward an extremely low level of infection. As more people have been infected, most of whom have mild or no symptoms, there are fewer Americans left to be infected. At the current trajectory, I expect COVID will be mostly gone by April, allowing Americans to resume normal life. Woo-hoo. So this is a guy that, you know, from John Hopkins, they apparently have credibility for now because him saying this, who knows, Fauci might get rid of him. Answer. Uh, the, yeah, the reason for this wishful thinking is the one thing that politicians are always leaning on, data. According to... <laughs> okay. Uh, lean on data. Uh, lean on the data that benefits them. Yeah. According cancel to... Cancel everyone else. According to him, uh, infections have declined by 77% since January. The combo of vaccinations and herd immunity that could come in two months because so many people have already contracted it. McCary also uh, referenced some of the new mutant strains of COVID you hear about in the news, and those could be irrelevant soon too. When the chain of virus transmission has been broken in multiple phases, it's hard for it to spread. And that includes the new strains. Then he says, more than 28 million people have been infected by COVID so far, according to him. So this is the part that doesn't make sense to me. He says, the majority of people have been infected. Then he says, more than 28 million have been infected. We have 360 plus million people in the country. Like, yeah, I know. There's a lot of those numbers that are spitting out. Like I heard, oh, 13% of the U.S. population has been vaccinated. We've gotten 28,000 vaccinated. Like 13%, 10% is 33, well, 36 million. Fauci oh. says that less than 2% of the population has been vaccinated. And then uh, Bill Gates comes out. I don't know since when is he the voice of any yeah. reason or credibility. Uh, but he's saying... Um, that because of the growing concerns of the vaccines are less effective against the South African and Brazilian variants, he says that there's a high likelihood that we're going to need a third shot. So right now for the vaccine, you need two shots. He's saying there's a high likelihood that you're going to need a third shot and then subsequent booster shots. 
to keep yourself healthy. So they're already pretty much saying, um, <laughs> rely on us to just pump you full of drugs and experiment or well, not experimental completely, but like, Oh, hundred percent experimental. Like, let's just pump them all full of these drugs <clears throat> and just see what happens over freaking 30 years. Well, he talks in this article how, you know, they're like, they're realizing that the vaccine isn't as effective as they initially thought, which is why they're thinking that they're going to need a third, uh, a third round of it. And they're just, as the this stuff keeps developing, they keep learning more and more things about the virus because they still don't know much. And these vaccines were rushed out, so they weren't properly tested. So, you know, it's like one person, like always, one person saying one thing, they have their credibility. Then you have, uh, you know, the yeah. Fauci saying another thing, he has his credibility. So it's like, when is COVID going to end? Whenever it's beneficial for them to end it, I guess, because... They use whatever data to push whatever they want. Well, but it's also one of the things that I said, like I told you, uh, I made the, the bet uh, towards the end of last year that you watch once the Democrats get into power, they're going to use COVID as much as they can. And then they're eventually going, you're going to see the media start transitioning away from it. Like I, yeah. I'd see significantly le less articles and topics and headlines about COVID and the COVID deaths oh, yeah. than I did in the end of 2020. I was like, once the administration changed, everything was over. They got their pound of flesh out of it. Now it's transitioned away. And now you're seeing articles come about how good things are getting, mm -hmm. the positive news. And every now and then you get a sprinkle of somebody saying something like, oh, only 2% or we need 80%. It usually comes from Fauci. That poor guy. But, I mean, but no to your, what he to says, your point, it, it doesn't last. Like it'll come out and it gets kind of buried on page well, five I mean, or whatever. Like how, and then it just keeps moving. How sick a lot of these. I mean, even back to the prices we had here last week of the um snowpocalypse the snowvid 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 good one yeah um they use it to their gain as much as they can and then when they get out of it they stop what they try to get out of it they eventually move on to something else so i wanted uh to get back into real estate you have an article here about lumber prices and then i wanted to get into the the one with the builders oh well yes and um i mean well, start with your one about the builders grapple with land shortages and soaring lumber costs, because that will transition into okay. Cost. So, I was reading an article in the Washington Post that uh, they talk about <clears throat> builders grapple with land shortage and soaring lumber costs. Right, so a sharp rise in the cost of lumber, among other building materials, drives up costs, potentially shrinking the pool of would-be buyers who can afford to purchase a home. The shrinking supply of developed lots or lands that's that's ready for construction. So Ali Wolf, chief economist at housing market data tracker, Zona economist, holy crap, he has a whole title, forecast that the new U.S. home sales will rise 5% this year over 2020. That would be a far slower pace of growth than the 20% from last year. Supply is, limiting, is the limiting factor. If builders had more homes to sell, uh, sales would be higher. So to the point that you were making earlier of, um, you know, you need more inventory for prices to go up because there isn't enough inventory. So prices kind of stay a little stagnant. Um, several market trends are driving strong demand for home ownerships. Mortgage rates remain at historic lows. Americans forced to work from home in the pandemic are seeking larger homes and more millennials are entering the market. <clears throat> Other trends include Old-time low inventory of resale homes of 1.04 million, less than two months of supply of just resale homes, should pave the way for home builders to enjoy a banner year. 
While the price of lumber, cement, and other construction materials fluctuate constantly, the volatility has worsened over the past year as, as the pandemic led to factory closures, a shortage of truckers, and other logistical issues that have made the, normal, the normally smooth supply chain unpredictable. That's meant shortage in items like windows and faucets translating to higher costs and delayed construction projects. And these are things that we keep seeing uh, in our own projects as well. The pandemic has also left some municipalities shorthanded, which can mean delays in approving building permits, inspections, or the process needed to get land cleared for new construction. The rise in lumber prices, a consequence of May, uh, many mills running at less than full capacity to the pandemic has been particularly worrisome for some builders. And you have Robert Dietz, the National Association of Home Builders chief economist. This surge in lumber has added more than $24,000 to the price of an average new single family home. Costs are going up. It's taken longer for materials to arrive, and it's particularly acute in the lumber market. Home builders, that have enough land to continue to grow their orders and their earnings are likely to have a better year. So if you're a stock investor, even though we don't give financial advice, medical advice, accounting advice, do your own thing. Uh, but you might want to look into DR Horton, Lennar, Holti Group, and Taylor Morris Home. Um, because they're oh. the ones that they have so much land available that they don't have to worry about, you know, how scarce lots are, how expensive lots are that other home builders are having Custom to deal home with. Builders still like it. My point to this is too, is like, okay, now here's our response. Let's pump another $1.9 trillion in the economy, extending unemployment benefits and reinstating the fact that you can claim unemployment by saying, I don't want to return to work because I feel that it's unsafe. That's one of the problems they had with it because these lumber mills are not located in big metro areas they're in the suburbs the rural areas of northwest the arkansas yep. to different areas that and they don't pay 15 20 an hour which is the equivalent of what you're getting on unemployment so now they're going to create this problem and they're going to make it worse which i think is going to make this problem even worse they passed that extending unemployment and further giving these boosts of 400 dollars um up from 300 dollars you're not going to have people return to work. And to your point, because <clears throat> they were starting to prod, uh, bring in, I believe, uh, towards the end of last year, that you needed to kind of prove, have you been looking for work? Because before they weren't even asking. asking. Yeah. But now you needed to prove that you've been looking for work, that, you know, you need to kind of prove that you can't find work. Yeah. And I last heard from Biden that he texted me. Um, <laughs> no, but I heard him say the other day of, we we're gonna remove all these all these uh, things are all these barriers that are hurting people where you don't need to prove if you're looking for work or anything if like if you're on unemployment go file for unemployment yeah. like period right it, just go collect your unemployment plus you get that extra four hundred dollars a week you're good to go and then to your point that's helping people generate more than what they were making or just as much working so it's like, yeah for sure and that, but that's where I said that I think it's good the problem but the lumber cost aspect of it. The, the article I found. I mean, it just kind of ties into it, but the lumber prices have inched over $1,000 per board foot. That's double the price from just three months ago. Starts of single family homes, which are the most desperately needed, fell 12% compared with December, according to the U.S. Census. Mm. Different thing is, is that's nationally. 
Texas, we rose 50% year over year or from the previous month or year over year or something like that. So you turn into the market update on Sunday, you'll see that uh, statistic in there. But like here, our building permits are through the roof here in central Texas to where like it's a great time to be investing, building and holding property here in Texas because we're kind of just like we were in 2008. We're kind of the oddball state out from everybody else. Uh, like we kind of act a little different than everybody else. So uh, Robert Dietz, the chief economist of the National Association of Home Builders, builders report concerns over increasing lumber and other construction costs and delays in obtaining building materials. Rising interest rates will also erode housing affordability in 2021 as inventories of existing homes remain low. That's where I said we need more inventory on the market. So where I think if they're when these prices does eventually end and people are behind and need to sell their homes or can't afford them, they're going to have equity and going to have routes out. And so the executives of some of the national's largest public home builders have noted on earning calls that they have slowed production, hoping to wait out some of these higher costs, which is going to create even a worse problem that they're slowing their production down while everything's slowing down. They're like, man, I can't compete with these things. So we're just going to stop slow down our production to see if we can get these things to come back online because they're trying to find that balance of supply and demand for lumber prices to where it can like we need to bring these things down but with everybody staying home all these home improvement projects all this extra money buying all these lumber these builders like we need volume of property of of lumber and we can't get it because that volume of lumber there's this extra force that's never been there before of individuals doing home renovations instead of moving because they see the price of housing they're like, well, I can't afford to move to a new house, but I can afford to make my house better. And now they're sucking that inventory. So until that slows down, it, you're going to have this problem of lumber costs being drastically high. Well, and to your point, you know, they're they're not only just renovating their homes and all that, but because they're not putting it on the market, like one issue that we've had, right? We have a property that we're looking to build and everything, and we can definitely see prices being uh, substantially higher. But the fact is that, Houses aren't selling. So because houses aren't selling, it makes it hard to comp because it's like, well, prices aren't moving in those areas. They're not yeah. going up. They're not going anywhere. So when an appraiser comes and appraises, like, yes, I agree. There's a low inventory and everything, but still prices in this area are not moving because people are just, you know, they're in nicer areas and all this. And I mean, what, they're just. What I think you are going to have is you're going to have more bidding wars for what is available is like to where we San Antonio hasn't been as bad as Dallas and Austin has been in the past. Whereas like you, the people were dr- purposely undercutting the house of the home to incentivize bidding wars to, they might list it at two forty when it's really, it's a three, $270,000 house. Yeah. And then they were still selling at like two eighty. So they draft, they purposely lowered the price to get everybody to freak out and rush the property yeah. and Start then have bidding, bidding wars up. But that's what their market was. So, I think you are going to get to that situation here in Texas or in San Antonio just because there's no inventory and the people that can afford housing are not finding anything. We have these people moving here. It's like, I need to, I can't, I, I need to live there. Like I have a five person family. I can't rent an apartment to house five people for the cost. Like, well, that's, why, buy. that's why rentals are going to be worth so much because now if you have home rentals, their next option is they got to rent a house. Here's something that I just noticed yesterday. So we have a rental property out by uh, SeaWorld. And we rented that property 
pre-pandemic. So I remember freaking out a little bit that the pandemic was really going to cause a problem with uh, people moving here because they were moving from the Northwest to Texas and they were business owners. Right. And they declared the national emergencies right in the middle of that transition. I was like, oh, are they still going to come here? What are we going to do? We got this vacant property. And we comped it out. And we rented it at 1425. Yeah. Well, their lease is up. And now I'm running comps for this thing. And the exact same footprint, significantly less in renovation than what we have rented for $1,550. Oh. And so our house with granite countertops, tile yeah. floors, extra perks and things to it should be renting at like $1,600. So from in one year, the <laughs> value of that property alone has gone from $1,425 rent to $1,600. $175 increase in one month or in one year yeah. on a rental value. So like the only rental properties, fantastic thing. Uh, I mean, it's, it's one thing that we've always spoken about is you need to be in rentals. You, you know, rentals is the one thing that just stands the test of time, time and time again. Like, yes, you can do flips and, and wholesales and shit like that, but that's not going to do anything for you when you have these kind of returns. And then the incentives that you have for holding rentals, as far as taxes goes and, you know, lower capital gains for right now. Um, and all of these things that goes with holding a property longer term, it's like, why aren't you doing that? Like focus more on that. Now where I do see an advantage, mm, <laughs> I'm thinking already how this is going to come off politically correct or not, oh, but no. where I do see that we're going to see a huge, uh, move of home sales and everything. And we've seen it already. And we're going to just keep seeing it is in gentrifying areas gentrification yeah in those neighborhoods and areas like that that's where you're gonna see it because that's where you see the houses that like we've been looking at this past week that they're damn near falling down shacks they're like they're virtually unlivable right those are the people that are going to be able to start moving on to somewhere better or renting somewhere else or moving out or doing all that and those are the houses that are going to be renovated and put up for sale at a higher price like where i think you're going to struggle to generate deals and stuff like that are going to be in your more in what used to be our more bread and butter neighborhoods because those people are still living in a really decent home in a really decent neighborhood where it's like I'd rather just renovate my house and stay here where these other people are like, well, my house doesn't have floors. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know, we've seen yeah. some of these houses that are just complete shacks. So it's like, I think if you're looking for opportunities if you're looking for things like that, you're going to have to get into those more gentrifying areas because that's where I believe you're going to see the bulk of the home selling and your sellers ready to go ahead and let go of properties where the issue i think is going to come in is obviously going to be in the speculative side of it of prices right like that's what we see here in the historic districts and all these things that we see people that they're buying homes and they're just selling it for pie in the sky numbers i mean i we're running a comp on a property we're going to see today uh it's in a flood zone yet the house next door sold for 350 360 it's like in, 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 in an area 10 years ago, it's like those houses were selling for 50 grand. Yeah, complete dog shit. And it's like now all of a sudden the house in a flood zone is selling for 350. And it's like, for me, it's like, it's just mind blowing, right? Because it's like, holy crap. But that's where you're seeing it. That's where you're seeing that rise. And, and I think as an investor, you got to get educated and you got to try to make as best decision as you can. But that's kind of where we see, you know, where I'm seeing 
uh, the coming opportunities and stuff like that? Because I think in your, you know, north of 1980 builds and your kind of urban areas and stuff, you know, suburban areas and all that. I don't know. I just don't see many people still wanting to sell because they're comfortable. Their houses aren't falling down. All they need to do is just some minor updating, whatever it is. They're getting all this free money. So it's like, yeah, just do some minor updates and you're good to go. Yep. But um, I mean, I don't know. Are you, do you have anything? Oh, no. shit. No, I have a house to go see. So, all right. Well, there was a, an article that I, I we'll cover next week, but there's a really cool article of a, a new brokerage that's coming out. Um, and, and I'll share it on our social media so you can go reading it if you want. And we'll talk about it next week. Um, but with that being said, uh, that's, that's pretty much it for today's coffee with the Johns. There's, there's so many more articles we didn't even get. Oh to yeah. Hear. I was reading it earlier. We were like, yeah. man, we got a lot more and I didn't get to talk about Elon Musk, but I mentioned him. So yeah, we right. mentioned Elon Musk. So we stuck to that. Uh, so, all right, well, keep sharing with your friends and everything. If you found value, hit that like button. It really helps us. Um, and we will Keep coming back, bringing you the headlines, trends, and all of the news that's going to affect the way you invest in real estate, the way you invest, and the way you live your life. So keep tuning in every Friday, 8 a.m. Thank you all for watching. What's up, podcast? If you are getting value out of this right now and you're saying, damn, John, this is some good shit. This is some good information. And I just ask you, just shoot on over to YouTube and just Find this video and give me a little thumbs up on there. It helps me so much. You have no idea how much it means to me. With all the work and everything that we put into this, it really helps us grow our channel and grow our, our reach. So if you can just, if you're finding some value, just shoot on over to YouTube, find an investor's journey, find this video and just give it a little thumbs up. That means the world. Thank you.